so we're in a, a bit of a different series. If you've been with us a little while, you know that we uh, uh, started, uh, we've been through going through Luke. Uh, and we've just kind of uh, taken, just before Christmas, this whole kind of Advent season uh, to look at something a little bit different. So this morning we're in our second part of that. Uh, we're in the same book. We're looking at uh, the book of Isaiah, uh, which is in the Old Testament. And I've, I think we've just missed something, actually. I've just remembered, I think we need to give some money. Is that right? Have we done that yet? No. So uh, it would be really great if we could just do the offering whilst I start to talk. If you're a visitor here, uh, basically everything that we do at Life Church is funded through the sacrificial giving of its members. Everything from fig rolls to full-time salaries is paid for by this money. We love to give. God has given us much and has held nothing back. And so we like to give of all that we uh, have as well. So as they're going around, uh, let's not forget to do that. Right, so I was just saying that we're in Isaiah, we're looking at this whole thing of Advent. In the Old Testament, there's just this uh, swell of uh, excitement of a coming Messiah, uh, a, uh, a saviour who would come to save his people. And uh, obviously we live uh, in this season where we know who that person is, we know the person of Jesus, and that is the... Uh, the birth of Jesus that we celebrate at Christmas. And so we wanted just to take a little bit of time uh, to enjoy this uh, anticipation, if you like, from the Old Testament and see what we can learn about uh, Jesus from these verses. Uh, and so uh, we're in some very familiar verses this morning in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. Uh, the last time I heard these verses out loud was uh, in Handel's Messiah, uh, sung... Uh, beautifully in Peterborough Cathedral, and so I thought, why don't we uh, do that together today? No, I, no I'm not going to ask you to do that. that would, let's be honest, that wouldn't work. Uh, I don't know my tenors from my sopranos or anything. So let's, but maybe we could read it together. Would that be okay? Do you think we could manage that? You can sing if you like, but why don't we read these verses? They're going to come up on the screen. Let's try and at least stay synchronised as we read. And... Uh, and read these together. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of darkness on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They will rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. As they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder. The rod of his oppressor you have broken as the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle turmoil, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. 
the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen. Are these exciting verses? Well, let's unpack them a little bit together. Uh, Let's look at what we learn about our glorious Saviour through these verses. First of all, historically, it's important to understand the, the time in which this was written. Isaiah is writing at a time which is really quite dark for Israel. They are going through a moment where the mighty Assyrian Empire are marching into the northern lands of Israel. And the places that are mentioned here, Zebulun and Naphtali, are towns that are basically right at the forefront of this invasion. Unfortunately for them, their geographical position meant that that was what happened to them every time Israel was invaded. They're basically a, uh, towns that were looking down the barrel uh, of invasion all the time. They're, they're the people that were invaded first. They're the people that lived in the gloom, in the, in the darkness of this. Some versions might even say that they, um, they're, they're in the shadow of death. They're in the shadow of death. They're just waiting for this Assyrian army to come in to uh, capture them and enslave them or put some of them to the sword and kill them. Uh, so that's the kind of situation that Isaiah is writing to. And not just you know, something that's happened before, something that's actually happening now. This is what he's saying. But he's, but he's speaking of such hope. And as a wonderful prophet like uh, he is, we see like a change in tenses as he gets excited about an event that actually doesn't happen for another 700 years. But we, uh, we see wonderful, wonderful moments of hope uh, in what Isaiah is saying. Also, geographically, just to help us understand, he talks about Galilee of the nations. Galilee of the nations. Why does he say that? Uh, Firstly, because the whole region, really, uh, is just full of people of different nations. There would have been merchants there, there would have been traders, fishermen, uh, people of different nations. It was quite lucrative for that. But if you weren't, uh, probably not many Israelites lived in that area. It was mostly foreigners that lived in that area. And so it's also... When he says Galilee of the nations, he's kind of referring to that. But it's also the fact that what the verses that we've just read, I think, if anything that we learn from these verses, we know that God's kingdom is increasing. God's kingdom is bigger than we thought. God's kingdom has no end. And if you read the whole book of Isaiah, particularly these verses, we really see that, don't we? There's no end to his kingdom. There's an increase. There's there's not a static staying still about uh, this kind of king who's coming. There is growth that's coming. And and not just for Israel. Not just for Israel. It's Galilee of the nations. So as I said, actually, there's something bigger than just this group of people that's involved here. This is Galilee of the nations. There's going to be something that floods into the whole world. The whole world will be full of the knowledge of this wonderful saviour. And so I am uh, thrilled to be uh, joined this morning by some very dear friends of mine from Serbia, uh, who we can welcome properly later, but we will accept that woo. And uh, uh, we, uh, they're, they're going to just give us a bit of a, um, a, a look into how this looks in Serbia. Uh, they are in a wonderful uh, context, and I'd love for you to just hear a little bit about it. So I'm going to go through some bits, and then we're going to hear from them. Does that sound all right? Yes. Wonderful. So let's look at this first image. The first image, the first kind of block that Isaiah talks about, is this whole idea of darkness and light. Something that we've been singing about already this morning, a deep darkness that covers uh, Israel 
uh, but they have seen a light. A light has shone into the darkness. And friends, I think it's really important that we first of all understand the darkness before we really see the beauty of the light. We put our Christmas tree up uh, this Friday, uh, exciting times. Uh, But I noticed that when in the morning, after we put our Christmas tree up, the lights were much less exciting. Our white light on our tree has little or no impact in the daylight. And it's the same with this, really. We must fully understand the darkness that Isaiah is talking about before we understand the hope of the light that has come, the great light that has shone into this situation. And, um, and for us to understand that, I've explained kind of physically what this means, uh, the fact that they're going to be snarled up in slavery, in oppression, and they're living under the shadow of death, under a ruler that is not their own. They're living in, uh, in that kind of place. But also, uh, for us, uh, there is the spiritual side to this as well. Isaiah is talking about not just a physical oppression, but a spiritual oppression. An oppression that is uh, locking us down, living under the shadow of an eternal death, a separation from God, uh, a slavery uh, to sin. Lots of things that we've been talking about and singing about this morning. That's the kind of darkness that Isaiah kind of sets his picture of and says, you know, this isn't just a physical thing, this is a spiritual thing as well. But a great light has shone. A great light has shone into this darkness. And it's important for us to see that light is not a narrow image. It's not a narrow image. We're going to see the way that Isaiah expresses this through these coming verses, but ultimately this light coming is going to be expressed through a new king, a new joy, a new hope, a new peace that Isaiah is going to talk to us about. So, those who have been living in gloom and anguish, Jesus' birth is a shining light for those people. And this morning, this isn't just an abstract thing about a nation in the Middle East that is living in this way. This is something for us. Like, I really want from these verses, you've probably heard these verses hundreds of times over. We've been through loads of Advent, depending on how old you are. Uh, but really, this morning, I want us to be confronted afresh uh, by the stunning light of our Saviour. These are, these are truly, truly wonderful verses. Those who are living in gloom, those who are living in anguish, Jesus came for people like you. Jesus came for people like us, that he would shine amongst the darkness. In fact, Isaiah even goes so far as to say there will be no gloom. There will be no gloom for people like you. There will be no gloom for those who have accepted this light. There is an eternal uh, significance that is made from these verses. And this is not just an abstract thing. So if we were to move over into Matthew, into the New Testament, which talks about the life of Jesus, we read in Matthew 4, uh, it says, Now when he heard that John, talking of Jesus, now when when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in the town of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that that which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom is at hand. Now, this isn't just an abstract thing that Isaiah is saying, you know, one day God's going to do this, we hope. Jesus himself, Jesus himself lived this. 
He went and lived in these towns. He went and lived in this place of darkness that he might show I'm the shining light that has come, that is going to make a difference uh, for your nation and the nations. And uh, the practical outworking of that we see. How does this light express itself? Jesus straight away, he's saying the kingdom has come. My kingdom has come. I'm about a different way. I'm about, uh, you know, I'm here to destroy the effects of sin. He calls us to repent, which again we've talked a bit about already, so I'm not going to go into loads. But he calls us to repent and to, and to seek his forgiveness for sin. He is the shining light in the darkness. Is that exciting? Amen. Wonderful. So let's just have a little think. What does that mean for us? What does that mean for us? It doesn't necessarily mean that we're never going to have trouble. It doesn't necessarily mean that we're not going to be affected by some of the darkness around us. But it does encourage us. Jesus said to his disciples, uh, he said, don't be overcome by the darkness around you. He says he has overcome it. He says, you will have trouble in this life, but take heart, I've overcome. You know, these are the kind of verses that Jesus encourages us with as we truly understand what it is he's done for us as a new king, as a Messiah. Is that okay? So that's verses 1 and 2. Verses 3 and 5, if you're following in your own Bible. The light shining will bring a moment of great joy and celebration. Are you excited by that? Yeah. A moment of great joy. And to describe that, Isaiah uses a couple of images. He uses images that are not particularly well, uh, you know, easy for us to fully understand the gravity of them, but he uses an image of harvest and an image of spoils. So firstly, he, he says that we will celebrate like the time, let me get it right, as joy at the harvest. Now, we probably understand a little bit about what a harvest means, but we probably don't fully understand the fact that when a harvest doesn't happen, it's terrible. So for me, when my lettuce in the garden is eaten by a, cat by a caterpillar, I just go to Sainsbury's and buy another one. What, uh, what Isaiah is talking about here is about having your whole hope on a crop uh, that is something that's going to be harvested. So you're kind of waiting, you're praying, you're hoping that this... This thing in the ground is going gonna, is gonna to rise up, and as a result, you're going to be able to feed your family. It's that kind of level of stuff that Isaiah is saying here. But he says, but now that this child has been born, it's a moment of joy, like the moment that the harvest comes in. That you're secure. You're safe. That, the, that, that it, it's happened. This thing that you've been longing for, this thing that you've been waiting for, this deepest need of yours has been met. In the, as in the moment of the harvest. He says you will have joy like that of the harvest. The second image he uses is the image of spoils. Now again, this isn't something that we particularly uh, understand, but it's an image of uh, when, a, when a battle has been fought, when a battle has been won, it's not just the, uh, uh, the winners and the losers, there, there is a spoil of war. There is uh, stuff that comes with it. There is loot that comes with it. When the Israelites were released from slavery, they would have understood this idea. When they were released from slavery in Egypt, uh, they, it says they took the wealth of Egypt with them. Like the spoil of what happened was that they got stuff with it. And uh, here Isaiah is saying that in the same way as when Jesus comes, you'll be glad. You will be glad because you get to divide the spoil. That which he achieved in his victory, that which he won, 
He's going to win on the cross in his victory. You get to enjoy. You get to enjoy that yourselves. That's the spoil of the battle that he's won. He goes further. He says that there's a nature to this victory. And he refers to a, a Midianite, the day of Midian. Do you know what he's referring to? He's referring uh, to the 300 uh, Israelite soldiers that were reduced from a massive, massive army uh, to fight thousands upon thousands. And uh, he's referring to a moment when God instructed them to uh, take on a fierce army with only a trumpet and a little torch. And uh, God breaks through and brings victory. Do you know that story in Judges uh, 7 with uh, Gideon? There's just this moment in the, in the Old Testament that, that Isaiah is kind of referring back to, and he's kind of given us these images, and basically he's saying, look, God is going to win a victory for you in the same way as he did on the day of Midian. It's going to be God that breaks through. It's going to be God that breaks in. It's all about what he has won. And yet somehow you get to enjoy this day like it's the day of the harvest. You somehow get to enjoy this day like it's the day uh, of dividing up the spoils. With that kind of gladness, you can know and rejoice deeply in what God has done for you. What is this type of uh, battle that has been won? He takes it further in these verses. He says that the, the, the rod... Uh, all the tools of the slave master have been broken. All the tools of the slave master have gone. That basically means that, that if you're living under the slavery of sin like we have been, you're living under all the things that would bring you oppression, they've been broken. That's the victory that God won when he sent his son Jesus uh, to be amongst us. He has broken those things. And then he goes even further and says, now there's no need for the boot of the warrior. In fact, they can be burnt. Do you see these images? They're stunning, aren't they? They're stunning images of, of uh, is, um, Isaiah encouraging us to say, this is the type of God that we have. This is what happened when he sent his son Jesus. That, there's, that he has broken in in such a way, he has won such a victory for us over the thing that we could not win ourselves. And as a result, you might as well burn your boots. All the tools that are involved in slavery can be burnt. Because he has won a victory, as in the day of Midian. Is that exciting? Amen. Maybe smile. It's exciting. I think it's, you know, ultimately this is what we have through our wonderful saviour. And I want to really encourage us in this because I think this is probably where the rubber hits the road a little bit for us. We must, uh, we must remember God's victory in our life. There are many times that we might feel... Uh, the oppression, the whispers of that old slave master. There might be uh, some areas in your life now that you're thinking, oh gosh, I just haven't got control of that. I just feel like I'm burdened by that. I feel, uh, particularly this time of year, I've been really kind of uh, struggling with this whole area of anxiety. I feel like it's really crippling me, really kind of robbing me of some joy. And reading these verses, I was reminded afresh of the wonderful grace in which we have uh, our, our wonderful saviour has come in this way and like in the day of Midian he has broken in it's not something I've achieved it's something he's achieved for me and I can hang up my boots there's nothing I need to do but to accept his victory uh, in my life
Not in my own strength, but with my eyes on Jesus. He has overcome in this way. Verses uh, 6 to 7, just to kind of finish up a little bit. Who is this child? For to us, a child is born. Well, we know this child is uh, Jesus. 700 years after these verses were written. But Isaiah kind of gives us four, uh, four descriptions of Jesus, and uh, we'll look at some of them in a little bit more uh, detail. But I just love the phrasing of this. He says, a son is given. A son is given. God has just given Jesus to us. Like, we, we own that. Like, he belongs to us. Like, he's given him to you. I just love the way that that is phrased. Like, you can, you can know him in that way. There is just a mix from these verses of the fact that of the increase of his kingdom, there'll be no end, and yet also he's a personable God. He talks about everlasting father. A personal nature to God that is consistent, loving, that brings security. A wonderful counsellor, somebody who's close, involving our lives, somebody who cares for us, who helps to carry uh, the load in which we walk with. He's mighty God, yet also personal. And I, uh, I really want to encourage us, in the whole busyness of Christmas and all these other things, I think this is the one that probably spoke to me the most. It talks about uh, the fact that he is the Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of Peace. And there's many aspects to that, but essentially uh, it says that we should expect the expansion of his peace in our lives and in those around us. We should expect that. In Colossians 1, uh, verse 18, it talks of uh, Jesus. It says, And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Friends, I think there is this whole thing that he's the Prince of Peace. He's brought peace between us and God. But there's also a living reality for us now, not to live in the anxieties uh, that this season can bring. There is a a real peace uh, that comes. The Bible says, let the peace of Christ rule. Let the peace of Christ rule in your life. Paul says that. Uh, And Isaiah says, you can't stop it. Because it's an increasing kingdom of peace. I just really want to encourage us with this. Let the peace of Christ dwell in you richly. Let we, let's, let's be a people that know that over this uh, coming season. Not a temporary peace, uh, but one uh, that is rooted in our wonderful saviour. Finally, uh, the fourth thing he talks about is the, the fact that government is on his shoulders. That's an encouraging thing, isn't it? This week as we enter into a season of election, uh, the government is on his shoulder. Like the government is, is on his shoulders. Everything, all of these things are on his back. Uh, but I just, like I said at the start, I think there is just something about the fact that this is not a static thing, that Isaiah is talking about the growth, the expansion, the enlarging, the never-endingness that comes as we remember this moment of uh, Jesus coming in the form of a baby God is not finished with his people. And I think there's a, real, uh, there's a real encouragement from these verses to expect that same growth, that same uh, swell in our own lives. That when we 
pray for 52 baptisms a year like we have been doing, that's in line with these verses. Of the increase of his kingdom, there will be no end. As we pray for this carol service, that's really much in line with these verses. Of the increase of his kingdom and peace, there will be no end. Do you see what we're saying here? That there is, uh, there is a real kind of uh, encouragement from Isaiah that we should see his kingdom expansion, uh, his sovereignty, his power, his lordship on display in our city, in our personal lives, uh, and that we should expect to see that grow. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Wonderful. Look, I wanted to uh, give a bit of time because uh, these are dear, dear friends of uh, mine who are in a really difficult setting in a nation uh, which really needs Jesus, much like ours. Uh, but they are just incredible. And so I wanted to give a bit of time uh, to them to talk a bit about this, really, uh, that I have seen modelled in them. God's kingdom growing, God's kingdom expanding, and God's kingdom making a difference in the nation of Serbia. And so I would really love it if you would give a massive Peter Borian welcome to Vlada and Sonia. Well, good morning. It's very good to be here. I'm Vlada. That means she's Sonia. Okay. I'm from Serbia originally. Sonia is from Birmingham originally. And uh, Kingdom of God in Serbia. Okay, very good. Uh, we can talk a lot about that. But I just, I, the first thing I want to, actually I want Sonia to share something with you first. I want you to see that it's very possible to be, we see ourselves usually as just ordinary people, what I can do, you know. But we see a lot of good things happening in Serbia right now after 16 years, how long we are back in Serbia and working there. And a lot of these things, well, not a lot of things, all these things started with uh, an ordinary girl from Birmingham who felt for call from God, being very obedient to God in that calling, and decided to try that and come to Serbia where God called her. And she was the beginning of everything that we're having right now. And God really used an ordinary Christian, ordinary girl, who is not ordinary for me, okay? She's my English rose in every single way. But God really used Sonia, okay? And me, as, as somebody who's leading church right now, I can really humbly say, God used my wife so much in my life and used my wife so much in setting up something in Serbia that is, will be not possible with her not being obedient to God and coming to Serbia. So I want you to hear a little bit how Sonia here called from God and came to Serbia. Well, okay. Well... I was just a Brummie, <laughs> still am. Um, I dealt with my accent a little bit, but it won't go away completely. But, um, well, I just, you know, it's really important what we feed ourselves with. And I know that when I was, when I was a young Christian, like I became a Christian at about the age of 14, that I sort of fed myself with biographies of, of missionaries that had gone out here and there. And I just thought, oh, really, I want to be one of those people. And, um, uh, and it it was in the early 90s that, that God spoke to me very clearly about, about Serbia. And um, those of us who have a, a few more years, you remember the breakup of the former Yugoslavia. And um, I was watching it on the news in the early 90s. And honestly, I, I, was, just, I was just devastated. You know, I saw the, 
people who looked absolutely the same sort of fighting each other. There was a siege in Sarajevo and there, were, there, there was a lot of bad press against the Serbs actually who were the bad guys and I couldn't understand that either because it was a war. And um, I loved it so much. I just felt, you know, it's, it, you know, it's a, a God thing, right? When God really clearly speaks to you, and you just know, you just know it deep down. And I, and I loved Serbia more than anything. And um, I knew that that was my 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 path, you know, that I was going to take. And um, it was it was just clearly something that that God did. And at that time, I had um, had a vision of Jesus holding a, a a small baby. And the baby was really sick. It was like it had um, something with its immune system fighting against itself. And uh, I just watched Jesus holding the baby. And, I, uh, and as I watched, I stepped forward and I said, can I help? And then as I stepped forward, the baby turned into the map of the former Yugoslavia. And I, I, was, just, I was just broken for anything else, you know. And... Um, I knew that that was the place that was going to be my, my, uh, my promised lands or my destiny where God was, was going to use me. And uh, I didn't get there for a few years. And um, I don't know if you know, maybe you know the call of God somewhere on, on your life um, or to a particular group of people or to a particular function in society or something. But, you know, sometimes it's the hardest thing is when you're waiting for that call to be fulfilled. But... I think it's really important to, to take faithful steps towards that and, and be expectant that God will, will do it. If he said it, he's going to do it because he's faithful. And there's nothing that we can... Uh, you know, we, we, he's faithful. We can't stop him being faithful. He's, he's God and he's faithful. So I got to Serbia and um, I met Vlada. Yay! <laughs> and he confirmed that I was in the right place. Not that I had any doubts, but um, clearly, you know, it was it was great confirmation. We sort of quite quite quickly fell in love, got married, and um, the thing was, we got married in 1998. And um, Vlada had to go into the army. Um, he had to do his national service. You don't actually have to do it now, but he went into the army in um, September 98. So we had like from May to September, like this sort of you know sample of married life. <laughs> And then he went away and uh, he had to go for a year. Um, we, we knew that he'd go and, and that, that was fine, you know. It was just a year. And, um, but he'd been there 10 days and I discovered I was pregnant. And, uh, which is fine again. It was, it was um, a surprise but a beautiful one. And um, um, it, it, it turned out, you know, that um, as part of our journey that um, got, Vlada couldn't look after me, you know. He couldn't look after me because he was there. And uh, there were no, no mobile phones in those days. We didn't have a phone in our house. And uh, he said, you've got to go back to England. Because he knew that at the time, you know, he was uh, digging trenches. He was preparing for the, the war, whatever that might be. And um, it was a very sort of tangible thing, you know. I was his, this uh, English person on her own in, in a in a country that I'd adopted it, but it actually wasn't my own. And my husband was away in the army and he said, you've just got to go to England. And after much protest, I went to, back to my parents' house in Birmingham. And uh, just um, a month after I left, really, uh, the NATO bombing started. And, um, and my, 
my country was bombing my chosen country, you know, the, the one that God had given me where I was going to see these great promises fulfilled. And I was just devastated and very heavily pregnant. <laughs> Little combination there. And um, uh, I managed to get a message to Vlada from the hospital when, uh, when I had our daughter called Eva. Um, and it was like... He was, up, he was on the top of a mountain. You know, God really protected him. He was like air defense on top of a mountain. Um, and, um, but I managed to get a message to him that he'd had a daughter. And uh, he, he got his kalash. He stood on the side of the mountain with his Kalashnikov. Hey! <laughs> and fired it. And she got a salute for, for her birth. And, uh, you know, it's, it's all quite, quite a long story. But it's a story of God's faithfulness to us and knowing that, you know, whatever... We were to face, because sometimes it's so good you don't know what's going to happen, isn't it? Because you think, oh, how would I even do that? But he gives you the strength to do whatever comes at you. And uh, even small prayers answered, you know, like um, I prayed that he'd meet his daughter before she was three months old. And um, the day before, that's when we got back to Serbia. And he had 48 hours leave to meet wife with unknown baby. (laughs) So it was all, all part of the adventure. And, and you know, Vlad, Vlada says that um, the first year of marriage is usually the hardest. You know, he said, for me, it was easy. He said, we didn't even see each other. <laughs> so, yeah, just um, there you go. I came to Serbia and I'm just seeing God uh, do so much in our lives and, you know, his faithfulness through some big challenges, really, which I'm sure Vlada's going to share. Yeah, so, so we are in a city called Nish, which is 300,000 people with hardly any kind of expression of Christianity. So Serb, Serbs, by religion, they're Orthodox Christians, which is extremely nominal and superstition in many ways and very shallow. Nobody knows anything about God. Church is just institution and nothing else. We've been communists for a million years, and that was us. That was our identity. So when communism fell down, people just adopt orthodoxy back as a national identity. So people just don't believe anything and very superstitious in many ways. So as I said, big city, university city, a lot of people, no churches at all, hardly 100 evangelical Christians. And then you have uh, towns and towns, cities and cities with almost no expression of Christianity at all. So... And we love it. We just love every single moment being there. You know, when I become a Christian, I become a Christian in the last year of my university. I was trained to be mechanical engineer, and then God came in my life, um, and I just knew I'm, I was ruined for everything. I, I just had a, a blurry picture in a distance where God wants to take me. Not even know how's it going to look like, but I just knew I need to go in that direction. Sonia was on the same road. We met one another. She had a heart for Serbia. I have a heart for Serbia, a heart for Balkans, for Eastern Europe, or literally wherever God's opened the door for us. I just want to see churches planted. I just want to see kingdom come. I just want to see, I just want to see the victory. I just want to see kings coming and just taking his rightful place on every single corner of the world, you know, and, and that's it. And that is your role also, you know, it's not going to be easy. But it's going to be absolutely beautiful. We just need to learn to rejoice in the small victories, just going in the proper direction, just reject, reject, reject fully any kind of definition of the world, what is success. Because if we go with the world definition of what success is, we're just going to be the miserable people. 
Okay, so it, it's not about the numbers. It's not about uh, a greatness. It's not about stuff like that. You know, it's about being faithfulness, faithful to God, allowed Him to do things in His own speed. Okay, just just walk in that direction He takes us, step by step, knowing that maybe in our lifetime we're not going to see the greatest things happening, because that is the progress that belongs to Him. You know, if you've seen our lifetime, everything that God's put in our heart have happened we're just going to be very proud of ourselves thinking we've done in our strength you know but we're going to enjoy one day in heaven drinking beer or wine or whatever you like it looking back and see how our steps of faithfulness going in the right directions brought some fruits in the, in, in the future so make sure you build the quality that is the one thing we are called to build okay the wall the walls of fire as Isaiah says you can't measure how you measure something which is made of fire but it's the plumb line he gives us in the hands, you know, and the plumb line measures the quality of the walls, not the size of the wall, but you put the plumb line, it measures a straight wall. Of so it's the quality, something we can measure. Okay, so make sure you build a quality and that's going to attract people, that's going to that's gonna open door for people to, to come, you know, and don't get confused with Sonia's story. Okay, it's a great, God speaks specifically things to you. And says, well, this is my calling. If doesn't, God doesn't, don't, miss, uh, don't make a mystery of the calling from God. Okay? Sometimes we do that, and that is a huge obstacle for us. If God doesn't speak anything specifically to you, okay, that means you're in the right place. He wants you here. And there's so many things written in the Bible that you need to do it when you're in the right place. That you just do this, these things, and you're going to see success. Do you see what I mean? So if you're asking yourself, oh, what is God calling me? Oh, that is a great story and stuff like that. This guy seen the blurry vision of the future. Sonia had a map of Serbia and stuff like that. You know, oh, where am I in all that? Well, if doesn't speak anything specific to you, you're in the right place. Build a good local church, okay? Go against the status quo that exists in society. And this, your, your place is here. You, there, there is a, there is a, that time in a, in a, how much time I have? Okay. There is that. We, we got to understand what the kingdom of God is and how we build the kingdom of God. It's not such a, it's not the projects in some kind of big things, you know. Every single person, any of us, is building the kingdom of God by walking in the right direction with God. Amen. You know, so you have, you have, you have. Jesus preaching once and tell the to disciples about if somebody hurt, if your brother hurts you seven times, multiply seven times, you got to forgive him and stuff like that. And they got shocked by that. And they say to Jesus, please, can you increase our faith? Okay. And he tell them, right, the faith is increased. And he tells them the story about the faithful servant who works in the field. And his job is to work and bring food on the master's table. And he says to himself, I'm an unworthy servant. I've just done what needs to be done. Okay, so that things for them. When somebody hurts you, just just forgive that person seven times. It was the seven times, multiply seven times, forgive them. It was totally against their cultural view. Okay, it was totally against forgiveness. It was eye for eye, tooth for tooth. So there is a things in the culture that is so against the God's kingdom that we need to go against those things. And we need the faith for that. And faith is built so we can change those things by walking in, a, in obedience to God. So knowing that God is the king and kingdom, okay? And we're walking with him. Our faith is growing that we can actually change things in society around us. Because England needs change, guys. 
okay you have been you're still great nation i love england but once in the history you've been even greater nation you give so much to the world to the, to the nations around the world you give missionaries you give theology you give amazing stuff you need to do those things again but there is so many things in your culture that once was very bad divorce was once unimaginable thing adultery once was unimaginable things now it's the status quo so with every single year so every single season your national life, the things that once was horrible, now it's a status quo and people you just exactly. You can't accept that. You gotta go against those things. You gotta stand up and say, Lord, increase our faith because even we don't feel in our hearts that we are able to stand against those things, say this thing needs to be changed. So you gotta say, Lord, increase our faith. And then you gotta walk in the faithfulness of God every single day. So you can see how your private life, your faith increased. So you can stand up one day as the church that says, we can't allow Peterborough to go in this direction. We can't allow England to go in this direction. We got to stand against the kingdom of darkness because it's growing. But in the same time, the kingdom of light is growing, just like the lights on the Christmas tree. We got to increase that in us so we can stand up as a church and says, we are not going to allow England to go in this direction. We're not going to allow our nations to be worse and worse because we are the only answer. You can easily recognize politicians on the streets. You know, they're licking their fingers and they start to guess in which way the wind is blowing so it can go with the wind. We, we need something, somebody that can change the wind. The wind is going in the wrong direction. And that's us. The church is the people who can change the wind. So let's pray for that. Let's work for that. It's not just the prayer. It's the lifestyle of the servant. I know what needs to, do, not needs to be done. I can't just stop coming from the field. I need to put food on the master's table. Then I'm going to say, I've just done what is my duty. So it's the lifestyle of the church. In your private life, in community, in your families, with your neighbors, with everybody. So when you get together, your faith is increased and you say, well, actually, as a community, what can we do in Peterborough? To stand by the says this is the wrong way to, to go. Let's turn the wind and change from when the wind is blowing. Because the wind of Holy Spirit, the, the, the brother said that Rach of God, when he blows over communities, can change things in amazing ways. And then we can be blessed again, the nations of the world. And you can reach them. The nations can come again to England and says, teach us how you've done those things. And you can send the missionaries again in an amazing way and change the world again. Here we go, Mitch. So if we had much longer, we could hear lots of stories of God breaking out in very remarkable ways in Serbia through the persistence and through the way in which this wonderful couple have lived diligently. But you need to come and see that, sorry. But there is an open invitation. But I wonder, maybe we can just finish off all of these things. A kingdom that doesn't end, a kingdom of peace, a kingdom that breaks in light in the darkness. Maybe we can just ask, Sonia, would you be okay to pray for us as a city and as we kind of finish off? Shall we stand up, guys? Can we raise our hands because he's the king on the first place. It's his kingdom. Okay? So we're going to approach to the king with open hands. Says, King, 
We totally depend on you. Without you, this is your place, this is your country, this is your inheritance. You gave to us, we are unworthy servants. Teach us what to do and teach us where to go. Oh Lord, thank you for this beautiful church. Thank you for these faithful people. And uh, Lord, I pray that you will... Uh, use them in this city and beyond. I pray that you will use them as a door openers to your kingdom, Lord, that they'll see those around them change. Thank you that the, the kingdom we win step by step. We, as we share the truth that you've, that you've uh, changed our lives, the, the, the mighty work that you've done in each of our lives, I, I pray that you'll You'll bless them with stories to tell. I pray that you'll, you'll use them to, to share your, your love with their neighbours, God. I pray that you will grow this church, not numbers, yes, but in depth and in purity and in love. And uh, I, I pray that you'll give them access to reach the nations in, in, in Peterborough. Thank you that it's a, a, such a multicultural city. I pray that you'll give them keys to reach other nations here and that the nations will come to you. God, bless each, each, each member of this, this church family. I, I pray that you will fill them with your Holy Spirit and that uh, in their lives, Jesus will be their name above all names. And thank you for the, for the privilege of, of coming here to, to see you at work here. I pray you bless the leaders with, with wisdom. I pray you bless them with finance for the new building. And just thank you that they're praying so faithfully for those 52 baptisms a year. I pray you give them more than that. And I uh, pray in the wonderful name of our Saviour Jesus. Amen.